Good evening, everybody. Welcome inside the Villanova Basketball Reports live here on Bob Long Sports. Bob Long, Kevin Long alongside. Excited to discuss the Villanova Wildcats, a team that has been a little bit too close for comfort in their wins, but into the top ten they go. Out goes Butler as we prepare for a big matchup on Tuesday evening, 7 o'clock p.m., when Villanova will take on those Butler Bulldogs. Losers of two straight, a tough loss to Seton Hall, a loss you'll take. The Seton Hall Pirates now just one spot in the AP top pole behind Villanova at 10. However, the loss to DePaul by double digits, probably not something that LaVale Jordan is particularly pleased with. However, an 0-4 and struggling DePaul team, Resume doesn't say everything because what they have done has been tight in every, just about every single game they've played, including an overtime loss to Villanova last Tuesday at the Pavilion. So what to take from all of this? Is anybody actually playing well in all of college basketball? I'll leave it to you to begin the discussion. Yeah, well, I, I think if you look at this DePaul team, sure, they came into Big East play and they've lost their first four games and then you know, had a nice win against Butler. But this team was also 12-1 and in non-conference play. And I remember the first week that we were sitting down, we took a look down all of the team's non-conference records and really everyone's record is outstanding at this point. And I, I think that... Probably the worst record was Providence, who I believe started 4-0 in the Big East and has really turned their season around in the past two weeks here. So uh, really strong Big East team. I don't think that's an indictment on uh, DePaul necessarily. They've they've run into a very good conference, a really good schedule, and uh, they're certainly going to come away with wins like that. They pushed Nova to the brink. Uh, they pushed Butler over that brink. And... Uh, I'll just go back to last week when I was unable to join you and Tom and uh, you guys were talking about this Villanova team as being lucky to be here. That that may be so. They certainly have had some closer games than you would hope for. They haven't been able to put away teams as they have in years past, but to the counterpoint, they have found ways to win in a veteran-like fashion. They, they have not been able to put teams away and win double digits, but it just about every game has been extremely close and they've had to rely on their senior guys, not senior literally, but their uh, upperclassmen, Colin Gillespie, even Sadiq Bey, I'll say, and recently uh, Jeremiah Robinson Earl really coming up clutch in that UConn game, grabbing a lot of boards, making a lot of free throws. This team is starting to develop and play uh, above what their years would tell you. And, and this team is just finding ways to win. Uh, it's not pretty, but this team is, is really doing a great job down the stretch closing out these games. Yeah, my counterpoint to that point is that I think that comes out in the wash over time. And you said the word clutch. I know we've had long and uh, involved discussions about clutch and what it exists and how you define it and who actually is clutch is the last three games that Villanova has been able to pull out. Does that make them clutch? Does the Kansas game at the end make them clutch? What is it? Is it an aid? Is it something over a period of time? Are they riding a wave? There's so many avenues to get into, and we'll probably get into about none of them. But my thought there is that that will even out in the wash, and there will be games where they aren't going to win close ones simply because – you flip a coin at that point, generally speaking. And, and fortunate for Villanova that they won the game against UConn. 
I'm really not going to give them much of any credit against DePaul because that was a game that they led by nine in the final two and a half minutes. That game should have been won in regulation. However, uh, I will grant and give them credit to the fact that this Villanova team has been able to win games late. That said, early prediction time, I think they lose two this week. I think they lose tomorrow against Butler at home in a tough game. I know Butler's lost two. That could be additional motivation for them, knowing that they had the conference in the early stages of the play, of conference play no less, but they had a really good chance to win the conference. They still do, but they need to start playing a lot better. And the fact that I don't know that Villanova has played tremendous basketball over the last few weeks. They had to come back from a double-digit deficit against DePaul in the first half, gave away a nine-point lead in the late stages of that game. UConn, I'm still not convinced that's an especially talented basketball team. Inside, sure, and they have some younger guys that can certainly play, uh, and Villanova struggled in the paint. However, that's, that's my concern going forward here in Big East play, that Jeremiah Robinson Earl, while he's a tremendous rebounder, isn't a great finisher near the basket, and I don't quite know why that is at this point. Uh, but I, I'm going to protect Predict two losses. Butler, a team that's going to need to come back, still very talented. A whole ton of Q1 and Q2 wins. And then Providence going to the dunk, one of the toughest places to play in a team that's playing good basketball here in conference. Yeah, you really want to see this team start to get out to a little bit faster starts than what we're seeing right now. It seems like they're having a tough time getting themselves off the schneid to start these games. Uh, but it's that, that Villanova attitude that Jay Wright preaches and all these guys really emulate every single game out there. These guys are never giving up on this game. They fight. They scratch. They claw. They're, they're diving on the floor for loose balls. This is the same Villanova attitude that we've seen year after year, and, and Jay Wright has really coached up this culture to, to where he wants it to be, and, and this team is staying right in every game. That's why they're ranked ninth in the country right now, albeit maybe not playing as well as a ninth team in the country. But at the same time, you see a lot of teams going down all over the country, games that you would not expect them to lose. Duke losing another one last week. Uh, there's there's another team that I'm forgetting Twice, right now. I think. Louisville, but also Clemson Louisville. on Tuesday evening. Right, exactly. So, you know, obviously Duke probably will or already has dropped below Villanova in the polls. Uh, but these are not the games that Villanova is losing. I, I think it'd be hard to make an argument that Villanova is a better team than Duke, but right now they are they're grinding it out. They're winning these games, and I think that's a lot of credit to Jay Wright and a lot of credit to the veteran leadership that some of these guys provide and, and a credit to how far this team has come Already, like I said, Jeremiah Robinson Earl, I was very impressed with him down the stretch in that UConn game. Like you said, can definitely improve upon himself uh, down low. But this, you know, reminds me of a, a slightly undersized Omari Spellman, if you will. He's more of a face-up guy. He can he can jump out on the three-point line and spot up. He's been a little hesitant to take that shot, but he'll get comfortable within the next few few months, I truly believe. Uh, and this team just really has grown into what it can be. You know, Justin Moore having a lot of good success recently. Uh, Cole Swider is the one guy that I would love to see step up. This guy, when he's hot, 
he's completely unstoppable, and uh, I think he still needs to build up that confidence. But overall, I'm very encouraged with how far this team has come already over the first couple months in the season, especially the start to Big East play here. Swider's soft, too. Uh, I mean, I don't mean soft in a absolute context. I mean in a relative context. Related to other Big East big men, he's not physical enough, and it doesn't really matter that the size is there for him from a height perspective. When he switches onto a big man in the post, the immediate thought is mismatch, and indeed it usually is. He's got to get a lot better. Uh, however, like you said, he's a very good spot-up three-point shooter, catch-and-shoot type of guy. You mentioned Duke. They, and this is, could be the Duke effect, but they've only dropped five spots with those two losses. They are eighth in the country. Villanova is number nine. That does seem a little bit silly, uh, I would say, on both ends. I don't see Villanova as the number nine team in the country, but I also don't know how you drop only five spots after two losses. Granted, Louisville, very good team. They're now just above Duke at number six. And I've mentioned it on past shows. On any given day, I think Louisville might be the best team in the country. They had a few scuffles midway through the season here, but Louisville's a team that I could absolutely see winning the national championship this year. Anyway, that's, that's more of a tangent than anything else. But these two games, I mean, Tom and I, I'll say, argued about this yeah, last week. Ken Palm has Villanova as the number nine rated efficiency team at least that was going into last week's games. And I just didn't see it. And i got to be honest, I still don't. What Villanova does have, we'll say, going for them are somewhat explainable with the low point outputs and the slow starts is the fact that they do run the 235th slowest pace in college basketball. So all the college basketball programs at the D1 level, Villanova 235th in pace. That's not a bad thing. Virginia won the national championship running an extraordinarily slow pace, and just being efficient within it. All that's well and good, but Villanova's had more and more deficits in the first halves of these games. Credit for coming back, to your point, but that's just not good enough, and it just feels like they're ripe to get blown out soon. I don't know which game that will be, but they're ripe to get blown out. Yeah, absolutely. I, I completely agree. I think we've we've talked about it briefly on the show how – Generally, there's a guy that steps up in the game and, and can generally carry this team. You know, we've had stretches where Colin Gillespie didn't score in the first half of the UConn game. And, you know, then Sadiq Bey goes off, off for 33 points against Georgetown. And so generally there's there's some guy that steps up, but there's going to be a game where there is not a guy. You know, Colin Gillespie is off, Sadiq Bey is off, and, you know, really – take those two guys away you really don't have a a primary scorer who's who's going to score these points for you so overall their defense will keep them in games uh like we've talked about there's going to be teams that have a big guy that we just cannot contain because we don't have a defender to put on him you know the best best you know our, our biggest guy is probably Demir Cosby Roundtree and you know he's he's not the guy you want on you know a a, uh, a dookie as a bookie something like that you know it it's just not uh something that Villanova is prepared for right now and there will be a time when Villanova's offense is not firing on all cylinders Colin Gillespie he has his nights but he's you know he'll find ways to distribute the ball when he's not shooting all that well very similar to, to Ryan Archie Diacono in that way when he would go long stretches of games without scoring or maybe had 
three points in a game, but has a huge impact as, you know, 10, 12 assists, something like that. He finds a way, but if you don't have anyone shooting the ball from three, that's where you're really going to run into issues. And, and they, they beat UConn shooting 11 of 23 from three, which I believe is probably their best mark this year, other than maybe Georgetown. Yeah, I think Georgetown, uh, 15 for and, 29, just above 50. And you're just you're just not going to get that every game. So if you, you – know, let's say you shoot 33% from three in that game, that's a loss to UConn. You're right. Eight two-point field goals in that game against UConn. That's it for Villanova. Now, as I did last week, I'll peel it back a little bit and – bring some more of a, a, I guess, a relevant conversation around what was this team supposed to be? What are the expectations? I'm talking about this team and comparing them to the ninth-ranked team in the country. And so that's where these nitpicks come from. I don't think they're the ninth team in the country. They're not consistent enough from inside the three-point line. They don't have enough physicality inside. They don't have the depth. Yes, you can absolutely win a national championship going seven deep, but Villanova... I don't think has the seven horses that you need to win a national championship with only seven guys that play. They need a bit more depth. And again, those seven themselves aren't enough to bring it home. However, the defense has been wonderful. The team is extraordinarily young. And if you would have asked me, is this a team that would be the ninth-ranked team in the country, I would say no. Now, that also equals my answer, are they the number nine team in the country? I would also say no. And that was my point last week, is that to retain their relative ranking, which last week was 13 or 14, in order to be the 14th team, the best team in the country, the 14th best team by the time uh, late March comes around, I think they need to get proportionally better than the 13th ranked team, than the 15th ranked team, and the teams that are generally around them in the rankings. And that was my one major point. They have the capability to do that because they're younger, learning more, getting more college experience, and generally their benchmark can elevate a bit more quickly than a team full of juniors and seniors. But I just, and this is not trying to be a pessimist, but I just don't see this team consistently enough that I'm looking at them as a team that has a realistic shot to win the national championship or make a deep March Madness run right now. That's the way I see it. The defense is there to keep them in it. But a big-time scorer comes in and absolutely goes off in the first couple of TV timeout interludes. All of a sudden, I think Villanova's in a lot of trouble. They don't have the horses necessarily besides a Sadiq Bay on a one-off basis to get you back into the game. And that's what you saw on the road at Marquette. That's my concern going forward. That's what happened against Purdue. I know it's different. Villanova isn't as good this year, and Purdue was fantastic last year with Edwards. But... That's the general concept. You can work hard all year, get to the spot where you need to be, and one big performance, and you're done. Yeah, uh, and we saw that against Marquette. I mean, that was not you know a fluke by any means. Obviously, Marquette is a very good team, and uh, Villanova had no answer for Marcus Howard. I think it's very concerning for the Seton Hall game against Miles Powell. Uh, we don't have that guy that necessarily matches up with the star power of a Miles Powell, of a Marcus Howard, and that's certainly going to be a detriment to this team in the tournament. Uh, I think it's it's going to be a problem for us. I agree with you. I don't think they're a national championship caliber team. I just don't think they have it in them this year. But where they are right now, I, I would say 
they deserve to be there. And I would say the Associated Press is really valuing the Big East more than it has in yeah. years past, and deservedly so. This is a non-conference schedule will do that for you. Yeah, this is a much improved conference. And you, you look down the list, you have Villanova ranked number nine at 14 and three. You have Seton Hall ranked 10 at 14 and four. And then Michigan State also at 14 and four ranked 11th below Seton Hall. So that is uh, your point there being that Seton Hall lost to Michigan State. My well, my point being that Seton Hall at the same record is above Michigan State against after losing to them too. Right, that as well. That is certainly a statement in itself. Um, but but my comparison was more of Big Ten versus Big East. Sure. You are at least by putting them Seton Hall above Michigan State, saying that the Big East is on the same level as the Big Ten, which is. Certainly quite a statement considering the firepower that they have uh, really having a good year, you know, Ohio State slipping up recently. But, you know, w- with the way they have played in the first half of the year, uh, an extremely strong Big Ten, which has multiple possible national title competitors uh, in that conference alone. Sure. And Seton Hall has turned their season around completely. It was never off the rails per se, but while Miles Powell was hurt, they were losing some games. I think that's also part of the, hey, same record as Michigan State. Why are they ranked above them? Whether you value the Big Ten or the Big East more, certainly there are more explainable losses on the Seton Hall side. And once Miles Powell's come back, not only has he been as good as advertised, but I think other guys that were thrust into leadership roles while he wasn't on the floor are now picking up the slack and are better than they were before he got hurt. That's the team for me that's the best in the Big East. And I think we'll find that out over the course of time. Butler was there. They had a lot of Q1 and Q2 wins. The schedule did kind of set up well for them, though, within the framework of the fact that they have a lot of good wins. Uh, There wasn't, you know, they didn't play Baylor and Kansas the way Villanova did. And so Seton Hall comes to town. They get beaten there. DePaul, tough loss. Again, a team that Villanova easily could have lost to. But now Butler comes into Villanova. Those two losses in the last week, setting them up for what should be a great matchup. Let's talk about that game a little bit, Kevin. Butler is slower offensively than Villanova from a pace of play perspective. They're in the 300s in terms of their pace of play. So if you're betting, perhaps take the under, though I'm sure Vegas always works it in. So there really is no, uh, at least as far as I'm concerned, no opportunity um, to, to really steal one here. It, it depends where the points come in. That said, this game looks to me to be one that will be close to the end, I would think. Butler makes you execute in the half court very carefully, effectively, efficiently. They're going to work you and are comfortable working you to the end of the shot clock. Meanwhile, their offense is extremely comfortable at the end of the shot clock. How many times has Villanova over the last few years gone to Hinkle Fieldhouse and gotten beaten on big possessions late in the shot clock? And that's because LaVale Jordan, yeah, and before him, Brad Stevens, even Chris Holtman in between there, guys that were able to coach up this offense to be very efficient and very new age in sort of the Ken Palm era. It's an efficient offense. It's a slow offense, but they can lull you to sleep, keep it close, win a game late, Now, again, relegated to the underdog status in this game, but I think Butler has a very good chance to pull the minor upset on Tuesday. Yeah, 
funny to say an upset for a team that was ranked number five in the country last week. Uh, but a couple of keys that I'm looking for in this game. First one is Butler's defense. They've been struggling a little bit as of late on defense. Uh, I believe the stat was they sent DePaul to the line 32 times on Saturday. That is a recipe for a disaster. Get your guys in foul trouble. Uh, really put them behind the eight ball in that game uh, and was something that they were unable to recover from. So you're, you're dealing with a Villanova offense that's inconsistent and a, a Butler defense that has not been playing well as of late. So I'm looking to see which one of those can emerge, which which side can turn it around really, and, and I think whoever can kind of win that matchup will will end up winning this game. The other thing I want to look at is Sean McDermott not playing all that great as of late over the last three games really where they have not played all that well. He's shooting 33% from the field. Uh, I think that'll be a huge key for Villanova. It'll be interesting to see who they decide to put on him. Naturally, that might be the guy that Cole Swider would play, but I don't know that that's necessarily the best matchup for him. So, you know, maybe, maybe you throw Sadiq Bay on him. It'll be interesting to see what Villanova does. So those are a couple of my keys that I'm looking at uh, in this game coming up. Uh, I, I tend to agree with you that Butler is going to come out strong. They're absolutely coming for blood after losing two straight games, falling out of the top 10, a place where they don't often find themselves, honestly, and, and they want to get back there for sure. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how this one plays out for them. Um, I, I think that playing at home for Villanova is a huge advantage, especially in the pavilion. Um, uh, I think I haven't seen the stats, but over this Big East season already, it seems like a huge home court advantage. You know, we saw DePaul beat Butler handily on their home court. I think that certainly has something to do with it. So I think home court will play a part in this. Uh, in the end, I see Villanova coming away with this, but Butler is going to come out fighting, scratching, clawing, and this is certainly not going to be an easy one for the Cats. It's all a very interesting statistic, Kevin. And specifically, it was related to home court advantage throughout college basketball, and that it's at an all-time low in terms of that actual advantage and who's winning the games. So that's interesting to caveat with the fact that Villanova is 9-0 at home this year, and that includes a win over the number one team in the country, Kansas. That includes, of course, the win last Saturday against UConn in a game where they had to come from behind, hit big shots down the stretch, and we'll see if that continues as they take on Butler at home. But just so interesting to see that stark difference, certainly a one-off basis in Villanova versus the national trend where we're seeing home court advantage mean less and less. Uh, to McDermott, your point about McDermott, certainly he has been struggling. He was somewhere in the 45% range before that skid that you were talking about from beyond the arc. He is their best three-point shooter. He's taken the most three-point shots, and his size and length gives him a unique skill set out there. I think that's a problem. Uh, the pavilion, generally speaking, at least to me, seems to be a place where road folks can come in and, and shoot fairly well. Villanova certainly shoots much better there, and I think that it's going to be very difficult for if it is Cole Swider to guard him. The other guy, and this is the main function of the offense, is Kamar Baldwin a guy scoring 15 points per game, 
certainly a great Big East player, a four-year guy who now is in his last run through. However, not the most efficient guy that you'll ever see. Just a little bit over 40% from the field, 34% from beyond the arc, more of a volume shooter. And a guy that, yes, he takes the shots at the end of the shot clock when they're needed. Think Phil Booth to some extent. That's exactly what I was thinking. Yep. And so sometimes the shot that he has to take are lower percentage than some of the shots that you're taking 10, 15 seconds into the shot clock. Those other players on that team aren't taking those shots, so the numbers may look a bit artificially lower there. However, that is a guy that you can absolutely frustrate, and if it is, Colin Gillespie to start guarding him, and even a guy like Sadiq Bey, if things go to heck and he starts going off, all of a sudden Bey is a guy that you can put on him. He has the quickness of a guard and the length to make things difficult on the more diminutive Kamar Baldwin. Something I'm looking forward to seeing is what type of defensive schemes they put into place. Could see a mix of zone and man as well. Something that Villanova doesn't do a ton of. They brought it out of the equation for UConn, a team that was struggling from beyond the arc. And I could see it in spurts in this game on Tuesday night. Yeah, and, and like you said about Kamar Baldwin, there's something special about having a guy that you feel you can go to when, when you're down to five seconds on the shot clock and, and you need him to, to hoist one up and more often than not, you're screaming, you know, no, no, don't take that shot. And, and half the time it goes in. So, you know, obviously over this past year, talking about Phil Booth, we've voiced our frustrations at times with him, but uh, absolutely critical to that team last year, having that guy, having that leader. So uh, Kamar Baldwin certainly does pose a problem. And Sadiq Bey, although a, a generally good defender, quick guy, when we played Marquette, he got himself into foul trouble yep. early against Marcus yep. Howard, could not keep up with him, and, and I think that that becomes an issue if, if Sadiq Bey is your answer to Kamar Baldwin. So uh, look out for that for sure. Need to keep Sadiq Bey on the floor. Obviously has a huge impact on that game, a big reason why we lost to Marquette. Uh, so that's that's the one concern that I have about putting Sadiq Bey on Kamar Baldwin. Uh, overall, though, I, I think these guys have a have a good shot to stay in this game and, and win this game. You know, I don't know about how other teams necessarily shoot at the pavilion. Like you said, Villanova generally does shoot very well. I'd be interested to see what type of, you know, sports science is behind that. What's What is it about the pavilion, if right. so, that other teams shoot better, even maybe necessarily than Wells Fargo? Is it just a closer confines? I uh, think it's, I mean, generally speaking, when you hear people talk about this, this is, again, generally speaking, not to this specific issue. When the stands are closer to you, you don't have that kind of ocean perspective. They talk about it when you go to the national championship and play in a football arena where the seats go back so at such a short or a... Low trajectory. A cute <laughs> angle, if we will, to go triangles on us, yes. So that when you turn and you look and you're used to seeing the fans at a certain distance behind the rim, that's not the case anymore, and you're, it's almost tough to pick up. Now, again, 
2016 and 2018 Villanova Wildcats beg to differ. 2017 North Carolina Tar Heels and Gonzaga might think there's something to it. So, again, it, it all kind of depends on a specific game, and probably on an individual game basis it doesn't affect it very much. If we were to look at it over a very long sample size, we might be able to see something. And similarly, I do feel that over the last few years, this just a feeling, not a statistical survey, that Villanova has been excellent shooting at the, at the Wells Fargo Center from beyond the arc. I, I feel as if they've been excellent in recent years. This year, no different. Now, the Kansas game, maybe not so much, but Georgetown and then the last time out against UConn, they were excellent from beyond the arc and better than they have been at home. Yeah, in general, I, I think this team has just found ways to get themselves to the three-point line. I think even if you think back to Eric Paschal's first year, he really could not shoot the three. He was he was driving. That was the only way that he was scoring the basketball. And and this team really has evolved to where you're, you know, getting Eric Paschal in a position where he can shoot the three. You're recruiting the Omari Spellmans of the world that can shoot the three and. You look at Jeremiah Robinson Earl right now, same type of thing, maybe a little bit smaller guy, but you don't have the Daniel Chefus, you don't have the Muftal Yaruz, you have five guys spacing the floor on the three-point line looking for that three-point shot. And, and I think very similar to the NBA game, how it's become either shoot in the paint or shoot a three, I think Villanova is similarly working towards that style. You see a lot of times now – where this team may be forced to go five guards uh, if you really need to take Robinson Earl out of the game and, and you don't feel feel comfortable putting Cosby Roundtree in the game. You have five guards, and all of a sudden now you're you're spreading the floor and you're, you're getting more three-point looks, and you're getting better three-point looks because you can't have everybody coming out and guarding you on the three-point line, leave the lane open for a backdoor cut. So... I think they're just creating better shots for themselves from three and, and in general at the Wells Fargo, at the Pavilion, just shooting better from three, and, and Jay has really made that part of his philosophy. Well, it's, it's absolutely essential. It has to get better three-point looks than they were in that Kansas game, for example. It's a little bit more difficult when you're afraid to go inside. Now, that's why I'm impressed with this Villanova team against UConn. Yes, they only scored eight two-point baskets, but – in a game where they were afraid to go inside, weren't getting a ton of looks, still only 23 three-point attempts. In a game where they only turned the ball over 9 or 10 times, four seventeen turnovers themselves. So it wasn't even necessarily that they just weren't getting looks at all. It's that they were, they were taking their chances in the two-point arc. Now their percentage was terrible. But I don't mind that because I think it sets up better outside three-point shots, stepping into it. And they were great in that respect. Other thing to talk about, Kevin, you mentioned the depth of this Villanova team. You mentioned more so permutations and how many you can guys can you put on the floor. I don't know about five guards, but you know the different permutations you can put. There's only so many that you can do when this team only goes seven deep. Only seven guys playing more than I believe it's seven or eight minutes per game. On the other side, we're talking about Butler tomorrow. One of the things they do so well is they have 10 guys that play 10 minutes or more per game. And so this is a deep Butler team that will run guys in and out and can wear out teams over the course of games. That might be why they are good down the stretch. I don't know if I can define why Villanova is, but they hit timely shots, and that's great. But sometimes a depth can actually give you 
more legs in the later stages of the game, and that's another concern for me about this Butler team. You know, the other thing to do, and we'll, we'll go into a break shortly and then go to the whiteboard and break some things down, this game to me comes down to just essentially two things. Uh, yes, Butler's playing poorly. Yes, Villanova's won 10 of their last 11 games. But are either team actually playing particularly well? And who's going to come out and make the shots? And that's not rocket science, of course. But it's going to be a defensive battle, and I think you're going to have a low-scoring game and one where a big shot here or a big shot there are going to win the game. And then the second key, end of the shot clock. Who doesn't panic? Who is the team that at the end of the shot clock makes that extra pass, understands the time on the clock, and gets themselves a good look in the final three, four, five seconds of the 30 seconds? And generally for me, that favors the more disciplined and more experienced team. That's why I say Butler. That's why I'm picking the Bulldogs in a close one. But I think it's a great game, one certainly that is a highlight of the 7 o'clock slate across college basketball tomorrow night. And that's the way I see this game going. But keep an eye on that depth. Keep an eye on the experience and what happens at the end of shot clocks on both sides of the ball. Yeah, when you talk about experience, I, I also think that, yes, this Butler team is more experienced in terms of the guys that they can put on the floor and how long they have been playing college basketball. But it, in terms of what some of these guys have seen, you know, the, the juniors now have been on a national championship team. Yep. Demir's not playing at a, a high level at the moment, but uh, Colin played a, a somewhat significant role, I would say. He's probably getting about 10 minutes a game during that national championship season. Jermaine getting his spots here and there, but just working with the guys like Mikhail, like Jalen, like Dante, they have seen that. They have played with six guys now playing NBA basketball, uh, they certainly feel uh, the you know the pedigree of this of this program. Jay Wright obviously has been there and done all of that in college basketball, uh, so he certainly brings a certain calmness about him. And I've really enjoyed watching Colin grow even over just this year. I think he's really blossoming into a big team leader, and I, I think that this team starts to pick up the pieces after all those guys lost over the past two seasons. And you even feel pretty comfortable with a guy like Cole Swatter. You feel comfortable that he's going to make the right decision. Sadiq Bey is going to make the right decision. Even Robinson Earl right now, I feel very comfortable. I think they're, they're learning from the guys that have been there. They, they take everything that Jay Wright says and, and implement it into the game. So I, I don't see this as an inexperienced Villanova team that will – cave in these situations and I think that's why they've been able to come out with a lot of these wins at the end of the game so I agree with you I think it's I think it's going to be tight uh, but I actually think this Villanova team and the experience that they bring is going to carry them over the edge tomorrow I like it I like that prediction I like your points no doubt about it I think it's something we're only going to find out more and more about over the course of the season and are they going to be higher ranked than they were let's say last week are they going to be higher than that 15 range? Are they going to be lower? Are they going to end up right around that area? And what is the pathway to get there? That's what's so much fun about college basketball, what's fun about a young team. And on the other side, we're going to talk on the whiteboard about some of the keys to this Butler and Villanova game, but it's going to be a bit more evergreen than that as well. Some of the key 
concepts for this Villanova basketball team going forward. Stay with us. A whiteboard demonstration is next. Dunphy Ford is Mayfair's neighborhood Ford store. Nobody knows your neighborhood like Dunphy Ford. Nearly 40 years. Right here on Frankfurt Avenue. Generation after generation, our neighbors continue to be our customers. We have access to the cars and trucks you want with financing you need. Dumpy Ford is Northeast Philly's first choice for America's number one brand. 7700 Frankfurt Avenue in Mayfair. Online at www.dumpyford.com. Come experience the Dumpy difference. You'll be glad you did. Today it's time to discuss this Villanova offense and specifically in the late times of the shot clock. And the reason I think this is a good time to bring this up is because they're playing the Butler Bulldogs, a team that's one of the slowest paced teams in the country. And it's not only offense that's going to drive the low point totals that they give up, but it's also going to be what they do defensively. Villanova, a slow paced team in their own right. So I think this is something, a big learning experience for them. So we're going to go Villanova in black and Butler in green. Butler, a lot of lot of man-to-man defense here. And, and again, it's a conceptual thing that we're going to talk about over the course of the year. Villanova mostly going to take on man-to-man defenses. What is it about Villanova's offense that makes it tick? Well, it's generally speaking the perimeter here and the ability to hit three-point shots. We're going to call this Jeremiah Robinson Earl down here near the block, a guy that can slip out here, face the basket, and hit a mid-range jumper or isn't too uncomfortable to face up right here and drive at the guy this way, drive at the defender into the lane. He's also a very good passer and can kick it out. The traditional four-out, one-in offense that Jay Wright has pushed for so long. Well, Butler is a team that will press and play right up at the top of the key, right up at the perimeter, and not allow Villanova to take these shots over the top. In addition... There's some strength here and some quickness and ability where if a Villanova basketball player is trying to get into the lane, that they're going to make that very difficult and cut off those driving lanes. The other thing is that they're quick in terms of if they need to create a double team on a driving, let's just say Jeremiah Robinson Earl right here comes the Villanova player into the lane. Jeremiah Robinson Earl is right here. There can be a collapsing defender to make that difficult, and everybody's going to help just a little bit. Here comes this defender to help on the wing. Butler faces and forces a lot of teams to go late into the shot clock and make life difficult for that offensive team. So what's Villanova need to do? Well, the first thing is just to take a deep breath and to be aware of the time on the shot clock. And this is, again, not rocket science here. However, what I think UConn did very well in the late stages of the game and late stages of the shot clock, I should say, on Saturday against Villanova is understand that shot clock, understand where they had the advantage, and for UConn it was in here. It was in the lane. A couple of bigs there that were able to get the ball and go right up over the top at the end of the shot clock. Well, what does Villanova do well offensively? High ball screen. So now let's take a look at what a high ball screen might look like. Here's Gillespie with the ball up here. Jeremiah Robinson Earl, very effective. He can come up here, set the high ball screen for Gillespie. He's going to draw the second defender. Well, Gillespie has a few options here. He can feign that ball screen, have this defender here kind of looking this way, and get into the lane. There's two, two Villanova players out here that he can kick the ball out to, and actually I think we have one too many. We're not going to put six on the floor. One on this side, two, three here, five. 
So he can create room here and force this defender to either do something or this defender stays put and Gillespie can get to the lane. Or he can actually take this ball screen and this unlocks a whole new set of possibilities. So now Gillespie's over here. What is he going to do? Is this defender going underneath the screen? Is he going over top of the screen? Or are they switching? Well, let's attack each individually. Let's say that the defender goes underneath the screen. So here comes Robinson Earl, sets the screen here. Defender, here's the defender for Robinson Earl. Gillespie comes here. Defender underneath the screen. Gillespie near the end of the shot clock can shoot the three. Or can kick it out here and try to get one more look. But I think Gillespie at that point, your primary ball handler, a guy that if he has the pull up and the defender's going underneath the screen, you're going to want him to take that, especially in the later stages of the shot clock. Okay. So let's say that this defender fights over top of the screen. Well, now it's about Jeremiah Robinson Earl setting a really strong one. And so Colin Gillespie can still, if it's a good screen, take the three. Or, as he's working around the screen here, can Colin Gillespie dive into the hole and force this defender to make a decision? All of a sudden, Jeremiah Robinson Earl is cutting to the hole, and there's an opening there for a little lob and a finish. Okay, so that's what happens when he goes over top of the screen. What happens on a pure switch? One more time. Screen comes out here. It's set. Gillespie with a decision to make. Here he comes off the screen. And he's sort of out near the wing. This defender, presumably a bigger one, guarding Jeremiah Robinson Earl. Mismatch. Also, Jeremiah Robinson Earl. Slice to the basket because there is a mismatch, and here's the switch. So now, is there an opportunity to get the ball into Jeremiah Robinson Earl for a quick turnaround? Bear in mind that there are two defenders out here as well that are seeing all of this happen and might need to make a decision. So he goes underneath the screen, or there's a switch. Does this defender make a commitment? Does this defender now need to make the commitment over here? Is there a skip pass to the corner that can be made? Is there a back cut that can be made? Generally speaking, Villanova, I think, has the horses to run a really nice four-out, one-in, high-ball screen-related offense to create opportunities on the offensive end. I think they'll need to do it in the later stages of the shot clock against Butler, again, because their first and sometimes their second sets won't go according to plan. So it's about finding a shot at the end of the shot clock. And what it shouldn't be is just pulling up and hoisting one without a lot of momentum. I think Villanova needs to stay within themselves offensively, and this goes beyond the Butler game. But to be able to run fluid offenses just as comfortably in the first 15 seconds of the shot clock as they do in the final 10, final 8, final 6 seconds of the shot clock. And I think that's what's going to allow them to be successful. Again, they have a positionless style team something that allows them to be successful. And again, if guys like Jermaine Samuels, guys like Sadiq Bey, guys like Cole Swider, and even Jeremiah Robinson Earl can stretch the floor out to the three-point line and knock down threes, that gives Colin Gillespie, the primary ball handler for this team, so much more to work with and a much more comfortable point guard position, able to distribute, and of course, to knock them down and get the open looks they need to win these basketball games. So keep an eye out for the high ball screen, not just against Butler, but over the course of the year, 
and let's see how comfortable Villanova is in the later stages of the 30-second shot clock. I think that is going to be a big harbinger of things to come for Villanova offensively. So that's our V's and O's segment here today. We'll return to the studio, talk a little bit more about the games upcoming, Butler and then Providence on the road this Saturday for Villanova. This has been V's and O's on the Villanova Basketball Report, and we'll be right back. Dunphy Ford is Mayfair's neighborhood Ford store. Nobody knows your neighborhood like Dunphy Ford. Nearly 40 years. Right here on Frankfurt Avenue. Generation after generation, our neighbors continue to be our customers. We have access to the cars and trucks you want with financing you need. Dumpy Ford is Northeast Philly's first choice for America's number one brand. 7700 Frankfurt Avenue in Mayfair. Online at www.dumpyford.com. Come experience the Dumpy difference. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back, everybody, inside the Villanova Basketball Report. Bob Long, Kevin Long alongside. And we just had our V's and O's segment. I, I, I think that's a real key, is understanding the high ball screen for Villanova and making sure it's working effectively, especially in later shot clock situations. Now, there is another game this weekend, and it's against Providence on the road. Villanova, we said, hey, 9-0 and at home. Great. That's wonderful. On the road, not as kind. Then again, then again, Baylor was a neutral site loss. Of the three losses, there was Marquette. And I'm blanking on the other one at the moment, but um, I don't remember. Yeah. I can't tell you. But yeah, I, you know, it seems like a cons consistent theme in the V's and O's. You, the, the high ball screen is something that you talk about a lot, and something that's you know very important for this team, and is amplified by the fact that they don't have that big, and and you really need to to play good help defense when the high ball screen does come. Uh, and this team seems to do a good job of that that swarm defense, like you like to refer to it as. They seem to do a good job uh, protecting the rim when it comes down to that. And you know, jumping on to your point about Providence, obviously a very strong team. Uh, like we talked about earlier in the show, had one of the weaker non-conference showings in terms of overall record. Uh, but a very good team and, and a very difficult venue to play. Uh, you have a very good head coach who has been through everything in terms of the Big East from Love Ed. the original days uh, in the Big East with the Yukons, with the Louisvilles. And, really? Uh, I believe. Okay. No? Has it just seemed like he's been there longer? I feel like I can remember him back to okay. my, my younger days going to Villanova basketball games, but I could be wrong. Well, he, he, I mean, he was with Fairfield for a while, at least until I was a freshman in college. Okay. Um, so, regardless, a, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. a very experienced team who came into Big East play, and, uh, and they mean business. And if Villanova does not come out strong, if they do not come out with their A game to start – uh, this is not a game that they're going to win. They they honestly cannot play like they get like they did against DePaul or like they did against UConn and win either of these games this week. Ah, so maybe you're coming over to the dark side a little bit here. I I I like Villanova in that Butler game. I I like them to come away with the win against Providence as well. I see this team coming around. Okay. I So they're just going to play better this week. They're going is what to, you're telling me. They're going to play better. They're going to put it together a little bit. I think you're going to see this team start to grow and I think it starts with protecting your home court against Butler. I think this is this is a critical game that that we'll look back on in a little bit and and think this was 
a, a turning point in this season where you just narrowly escape games where, let's face it, you should have won them maybe somewhat easily and, and did not. And, and I think that this team is going to come out ready to play. I think they're going to have a fire under them this week. Uh, and I think they're going to have a strong showing. I, I don't think that Butler is going to figure out some of its defensive woes. Uh, I, I think that will continue uh, against Villanova tomorrow night. Ed Cooley, 2011, the 2011-2012 season is when he came to Providence. So you were correct in that he spent one, two years coaching in the old Big East. So, I'll yes, indeed. That. Yeah, yes. I will take that. We need uh, Kevin McLernan to come back at some point soon. Kevin, where are you? We need our trivia questions. Remember, that was those were good times. Yes, we do. And we need our pick em. We, yeah, we, need we our have pick had em. no pick em this year. That's right. I just saw X's and V's and O's. That's all we've had <laughs> thus far. Came but V's and O's are you. fun. V's and O's are fun. Always a great part of the segment. Doesn't come out as well. On the podcast version, I will say. Yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> Sorry to all our audio subscribers out there. SoundCloud. I do try to talk about general spacing on the floor, but you can also fast forward about five minutes if you choose. That's fine, too. I understand. And Bob does separate that part of the video on YouTube. So if you're listening to the podcast, well worth the listen when you get home to, to see what Bob was talking about. Well worth it to go on YouTube and check that out. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, we have a great studio for those of you that have never seen us. I, I appreciate the fact that we have listeners and viewers and constituents and stakeholders from all over. But, uh, yes, a lot of mediums, a lot of ways to get in touch with us on Twitter at Bob Long Sports, on Facebook at Bob Long Sports, on YouTube at Bob Long Sports, and on SoundCloud on uh, – on Bob Long Sports as you well. got it. Ding, ding, ding. Yeah, believe it or not. So that is how you get in touch with us. I know we had something that we did do a lot of last year, though, and we're bringing it back. Cats in the wild. Talking about the Villanova players that have made their way into the NBA, highlighting one every week. And, oh, by the way, if I may, we had a conversation with Tom last week. We're going to make it into a full show. We're doing it. About Pavilion and Wells Fargo Center in-between timeout traditions or just traditions in general. A new tradition is highlighting a Villanova basketball report. Uh, a player, I should say, a basketball player that's in the NBA. And one, they stole that from us. No problem. You can have it free of charge. We appreciate it. Two, their name isn't nearly as creative as ours. I think it's the Villanova NBA scouting report or something like that. Yeah. Not mm -hmm. Cats in the Wild. No, not nearly as good. And I appreciate last show getting that shout-out in for the cheerleaders with arm strength. I, I really appreciated that. Cannot wait for that show. That's going to be a great one. Maybe we'll throw that in in April after the year. Pelting the <laughs> row, the couple seats right in front of the, the, the middle of the floor, pelting them with 30 T-shirts. At T-shirt time, that's my favorite tradition. I tell you what, we, we find ourselves in Section 123, and it seems to be right where the visiting team uh, is benches. And so well, when sure. they take their time out, the, the guys and girls, the cheerleaders, go running out onto the floor. They run across the floor, and they throw the T-shirts all over the rest of the stadium, and they completely miss us. So... You know, at Villanova, if you're if you're listening to this, give the people of Section 123 some love. We need some T-shirts every once That's in a while. That's right, once in a while. But, yes, uh, Cats in the Wild. So uh, very excited to bring this back. This is uh, the segment where I get to do a little bit of talk in my favorite part of the show. 
obviously this team has had a lot of success in terms of getting guys in the NBA recently. Six guys over the past just three years here in terms of Eric Paschal, Phil Booth recently, and then, of course, 2018 uh, where we got Omari Spellman, Dante DiVincenzo, Jalen Brunson, and Mikhail Bridges. So uh, that has multiplied our, our team that we've seen in the NBA as of a couple of years ago. It may have just been Kyle Lowry and Dante Cunningham uh, hanging around here and there. So uh, great to see in general this team uh, doing some great things, getting guys to the next level obviously helps recruiting, uh, and it helps give us more fodder for this Cat in the Wild segment. So the guy I'm going with tonight, is Mikhail Bridges. So last night he had a big 26-point game over Boston at Boston. So uh, great to see for a guy like him who was the highest uh, ranked, I don't know if you say recruit, but draftee out of Villanova yep. in 2018. Of all those four guys I just mentioned in 2018, he was picked 10th overall and had the biggest expectations uh, we knew all along that he was going in that 2018 season and uh, just has not quite put it together the way that everybody, including the Phoenix Suns, expected. Last year, he was getting about 30 minutes a game, uh, playing pretty well. Uh, and then now this year, they got Kelly Oubre in the middle of last year and uh, just drafted Cameron Johnson out of North Carolina. And Mikhail found himself in a position where he was not playing as many minutes as he would like, uh, going back towards 20 minutes a game. And now uh, those two guys are, are out with injuries, and he's really making the most of his opportunities. He's been playing about 38 minutes a game for the past four games or so. Um, and, and last night he really had a great game against Boston. So hopefully this is the spark that Mikhail needs to get his career off the ground and really send him into uh, the stardom that he's hoping for. That's a great report. Good to see McHale doing well. Certainly the other guy's playing great also. Jalen Brunson, awesome to see him doing well. Ryan Archidiakono continues to plug away and gets more minutes. And yeah, and let's not forget Eric Pascal having a, a heck of a year. I have a oh feeling yeah. that we will feature him in the near future in one of these segments. Having uh, you know the guy, huh? Year. Yeah, you, you know the guy that does the segment, so you might be able to put a bug I, in his ear. I might be able to put in a good word for Eric. I think good. I could do that. So, yeah, really encouraging. I, I don't think that anyone was quite expecting this level of success. Some of that's coming with the Golden State Warriors' uh, struggles and giving him more opportunities to see the floor. But uh, really happy for him and, and really having probably the most success of any of the guys that come out in the past Three years, if you think about it. So, uh, really happy for Eric Pascal. Good stuff. Cats in the Wild segment here on the Villanova Basketball Report. Bob Long, Kevin Long here with me. Kevin, any last thoughts before we get out of here tonight and let the people enjoy the rest of their week and some college hoops? Just pay attention this week. This is a an enormous week for Villanova. Uh, like we talked about, maybe doesn't have the aspirations of a national championship but certainly can repeat again in this Why not, though? And that's kind of the point I'm making. If they're really ranked number nine, why can't they win a national championship? I, I think at the end of the day, not having that big man or someone who can really guard a big man will, help, will, will hurt them. Um, I know you, you talk about Omari not being that type that would necessarily guard their big man and, and face up, but... I just think that the lack of size is eventually going to get them, and they also don't have 
the depth that they had in 2018 is more like the depth that they had last year, which concerns me. Hopefully, Brian Antoine can develop. Uh, hopefully, Demir Cosby Roundtree can turn his career around. That would be extremely helpful. All this uh, has to be quick. Very quick. We don't have much time. You're talking about Big East tournament in two months now, less than. So really needs to be turned around in a hurry. But just with with the current rotation that they have, I, I don't see it happening. But they can win this Big East uh, tournament, absolutely. They're going to have to find a way to beat a guy like Marcus Howard. I think Marquette's a team that wouldn't win the regular season Big East, but Man, you get that guy hot in I like a, that in take. a mid to late March tournament. Boy, look out. I like that take a lot. I really like that take. That could be something that happens, no doubt about it. My closing comment is this, that I do feel as if I'm coming across a bit hard on some of the things I'm talking about. But again, it's with the advent of the number nine ranking and even last week the number 14 ranking. Do I think this team's the number nine ranked team in the country? No. Were they supposed to be? Well, I guess, yes, the preseason rankings had him number six, but that was all garbage anyway. We were talking about not being able to remember the third game that they lost. That was Ohio State on the road, and that was really a genesis of an understanding for the deficiencies that this team had at the time. I think they've gotten a lot better. Unfortunately for Ohio State, they have seemed to have lost that moxie. I saw them play this weekend and even saw them play when they had beaten Penn State badly a few months, a month or so ago, when they hammered Villanova in November. This is a different basketball team right now, not that they can't turn it around. But that was really a referendum on where things were at that time. I give Villanova all the credit in the world for coming back and beating the teams that they have and winning the games that they have had in front of them. I just want to make sure that folks – don't mistake a close win against Butler and a close win against UConn as anything particularly noteworthy. It'll be determined in late January and throughout the month of February what this team is and what they'll grow into. I can't wait to see them do that. I think that's the most fun part of college basketball is watching teams grow over the course of the year. Certainly Villanova with a young crop of guys has everything in front of them and every reason to get a lot better because these are guys that just got out of high school or are sophomores at the college level. So, yes, I think this is a team that absolutely can be very successful over the rest of this year, be a second, maybe third, fourth-place team in the Big East, have no problem getting into the tournament at a five or six seed. But I just wonder if they have the horses, kind of like you're saying. And will be so interesting not only this year but next year, though that's way ahead of things, uh, to see what this year does for those guys in leadership roles and, and being the guys that they're being tapped on the shoulder to be the score, the guy. Everybody's back next year unless people go to the NBA. And I think that is really the takeaway for this Villanova team. Enjoy this run if you're a fan, but understand that the good days are ahead. And this feels like the big stretch run for Villanova, in my opinion, where we're going to find out what they are made of. In the next five games, you got Butler twice. Um, after this game against Butler, you got three of your next four on the road. So can you take that Big East grind? How are you going to handle playing Butler two out, uh, two out of the next five? Got to go on the road to Providence. Like we said, this is going to be a difficult stretch run for them, and I think we're really going to find out what this team is all about over the next two, two and a half weeks. Excited to follow along with you, as well as Kevin McClernand and Tom Trainer, our crew here for the Villanova Basketball Report.
He's Kevin Long. I am Bob Long saying so long here from our Bluebell Studios for Bob Long Sports as the Villanova Basketball Report was brought to you live here this evening and is available on SoundCloud and YouTube after the fact. Enjoy the basketball, everybody. A big one tomorrow night at Finneran Pavilion and then on the road at Providence on Saturday. We'll have a much better idea of where this team is when we meet with you again next week. Take care, everybody, and have a good night.